Week 12 of the NFL season is in the books. The Titans beat the Colts to reclaim first place in the AFC South. In Foxborough, the Patriots upset the Cardinals. They stay alive in the AFC playoff picture. Tyreek Hill goes crazy in Tampa Bay. Chiefs take care of the Buccaneers. On Monday Night Football, Carson Wentz struggles again. The Seahawks are trending upwards. Also, in the Premier League, Southampton blow a 2-0 lead against United. Chelsea and Tottenham disappoint. 0-0 draw. And my Wolves beat Arsenal 2-1. This is Hard to Handle Sports Podcast, episode number 18. My name's Ismael San Juan. Let's get started. First and foremost, I just want to start off this episode by saying, rest in peace, Diego Armando Maradona. Uh, we found out about his tragic death last week. Um, just wanted to pay my condolences to the people of Argentina, to his family, to the football world. We lost a legend. We lost an icon. He was one of the first truly world, world-renowned soccer stars. Uh, the things he could do on the pitch with the ball on his foot is second to none. Uh, the way he dribbled past players, the charisma he had, the personality he had, the way he carried himself, the way he looked out for, you know, the lower class people. He was always like anti-establishment. Uh, no matter what he did in his in his good and his bad and his flaws, he always remained true to himself. And I think we could all appreciate that. Someone that doesn't change because of the fame. Um, for good or for bad, uh, there were some things he could have changed and maybe he'd still be here, but that's not for me to discuss. I just want to remember him as the legend that he was, as the icon that he was, as the people's person, the people's champ. I know people in Argentina thought of him as a god, and uh, and I saw a lot of tributes to him. I know how, how devastated the people in Argentina are. They really lost one of their heroes, one of the people that looked up that they looked up to, one of the people that got them through a war. And it's just it's just crazy to think about. Uh, I know the football world as a whole is devastated. Um, I know it took me by surprise. I'm a little too young to have really seen him play live or remember him playing. But even I know like the impact he had on the sport and what a great soccer player he was and just the charisma. And he couldn't go anywhere without being recognized. And every every room that he walked into... Uh, you know, everyone knew who he was, no matter his diminutive size or whatever. He was the biggest person in the room, and that's just the way he was. So, just rest in peace, Diego Armando Maradona. You lived the, you lived a good life, in my opinion. You were, you made Argentina world champions. You made the people in Napoli love you. The people in Argentina adore you. Um, it's just so sad to see you go so young, but. You know, just rest in peace, Diego Armando Maradona, and that's that. But also, uh, Raul Jimenez had a very uh, tragic injury this weekend, so get well, Raul Jimenez. Wish you the best of wishes, best of recoveries, and I hope you're back on the pitch pretty soon. But now with that out of the way, let's get started. Uh, NFL Week 12 is in the bugs. We had some great games this weekend. As we usually do, the NFL is is uh, great entertainment every weekend, and uh, this weekend was not the exception. Uh, quickly, let's just go through the scores for Week 12. Today of the recording, it's Wednesday, December the 2nd. 
Um, we had some Thursday night games. We had the Thanksgiving games to start off the week. Texans took care of the Lions, 41-25. Um, Watson and Fuller went off. We just found out that Fuller is suspended for six games because of uh, performing enhanced drugs. So he's probably going to miss out the rest of the season. Disappointing to see him go out like that, but he had a great game. Washington take care of the Cowboys. Cowboys are a mess. Bills 17. Bills 27. Chargers 17. Bills are still in the lead in the AFC South. Um, AFC East, I mean. Titans take control of the AFC South. They beat the Colts 45-26. I'll go into that game in a little bit. Vikings 28. Panthers 27. Browns 27. Jaguars 25. Giants 19. Bengals 17. Giants take first place in the AFC least. Patriots 20. Cardinals 17. Dolphins 20. Jets 3. Falcons 43, Raiders 6. That was a crazy upset. What's happening with the Raiders? They're falling apart. Saints 31, Broncos 3. 49ers 23, Rams 20. Rams below a chance to keep keep up in the AFC West. I mean, NFC West. Chiefs 27, Buccaneers 24, Packers 41, Bears 25. Seahawks 23, Eagles 17. And later on today, the Ravens and the Steelers are going to play their uh, long postponed game. It, it got moved from Thursday to Sunday, to Monday, to Tuesday, and now to Wednesday. So we'll see how that that plays out. But uh, the first game that caught my attention this week, first game of week 12 that caught my attention, Titans versus Colts. They both came in at 7-3, and three, um, tied for the division lead. Colts had beaten them two weeks ago in Tennessee, and now they were playing in Indianapolis. Uh, it was a great game, Titans versus Colts. The game started off hot, 14-14 after one. It looked like it was going to be a back and forth. It looked like it was going to be, you know, one of those divisional games. You know how divisional games are. No matter the records, they they have this cliche always that they always say is when two divisional teams play against each other, you could throw out the records because it's a divisional game. And for the most part, it's going to be a close game. And that's how the game started, 14-14. And then in the second, that's when the... That's when the floodgates opened for the Titans. They scored 21 points in the like in the last six and a half minutes of the f- second quarter of the first half. And they finished out the half 35-14. And then at that point, you're asking Phillip Rivers to bring you back 21 points against the Titans. I know the Titans don't have the best defense, but when you completely have to abandon the run and make up points, make up a 21-point deficit, it just gets really, really hard. I think the turning point in this game, uh, for, the, for those of you that didn't watch the game, the, the score was 28-14. Uh, so the score was 14-14, and then the the Titans took a 21-14 lead, stopped the Colts, came back. They had like a four minute. They had four minutes to go in the in the like around four and a half minutes to go in the in the first, in the second half, the second quarter, first half till halftime, and they had four and a half minutes to go, and they ran Derrick Henry like up the gut like five times, and they scored to take a 28-14 lead. And then the Colts got the ball back with like two and a half minutes left. And you're thinking, okay, um, if, we, if we score a touchdown, we'll be down one. We get the ball back in the second half. No big deal. Or if anything, if we go down at the half, 14 points, not a big deal. We get the ball to start the second half. If we score then, then we're just down seven points. I think that's what the Colts should have been thinking. But they struggle to get anything going. And then they have to punt the ball back to the Titans. And then... I think number 49 of the Colts, special teamers, punches number 49 of the Titans, and they give up a return, and then they give up an extra 15 yards because of the unsportsmanlike conduct. 
and then 49 gets thrown out and now the Titans have a, a small field to go they have like they're already on the cold side when they get the ball they have like I think like a timeout or two left and they have like a minute to play with and now they're up 14 and they probably would have just honestly they would have just ran the ball and probably gone to the halftime with the 14 point lead but with the return yards and the penalty yards they're already on the cold sideline so they're like alright what, what the hell let's just go for it Let's just see if we can score another touchdown. And they do in that last minute and like 20 seconds that they have. They put they, they get like a long completion. And I believe it was Tannehill that ran it in. And they scored 35-14 at the half, which is crazy because with six like six and a half minutes left, the score was tied 14-14. And then the Colts blink and they're down 35-14. And then the Colts just never got back into it. They couldn't muster enough offense. They couldn't get anything going. And I think that that was the turning point. The turning point was uh, that penalty. Uh, maybe they would have still lost, or maybe it was already like 28-14. Maybe they wouldn't have came, came back from that. But they would have had a chance. They could have gone to halftime, you know, adjusted, put a good drive to start the second half. And then, you know, once it's a one-possession game, you never know. But 35-14 is a way different conversation at halftime. You're down 21 points. You got shut out in the second quarter. You allowed 21 points. In six minutes, it just it just really probably killed the morale. It just got the game too out of reach, and uh, it reminded me of the first the first matchup on week ten. Um, the game shifted on a special teams play too. The score was twenty seventeen. The Colts were up three points, and then they blocked a punt and it got returned for a touchdown. And then the Titans missed a field goal and they went down on and drive and score another touchdown. So quickly, the game was twenty seventeen. Block punt, return for a touchdown, missed field goal, and then the Colts go on the drive, and then the Titans blink, and then the game's 34-17, and it's pretty much done. I think that's what happened on the Colts, Colts this time. They blinked, and they're down 21 points, and at that point, it's like, whoa, like how are we going to come back? Can we come back? And then it's too late. Couldn't get anything going. Derek Henry had a crazy game, 178 yards, three touchdowns. I know, I know. Uh, I think Tannehill had talked to the media, and he said that they were watching his carries the last few weeks because, you know, they wanted to save him for the second half of the season. It looks like now they're not watching his carries. They're gonna run Derrick Henry. They're gonna let him get as many as many touches as he can. And I think Derrick Henry, just because of his physique, how big he is, how he's built, he's strong. He's a strong, strong running back. Um, he's special, special running back. I think they can run him. Just run Derrick Henry. Just feed the beast, feed the locomotive, and uh, they they rode him to uh, 178 yards and three touchdowns. Colts had no no chance of stopping him, especially because they were without uh, their key offseason signing, DeForest Buckner. Uh, I believe he was on the COVID nineteen list. <clears throat> so Derrick Henry carried the Titans. Tannehill played a clean game. He had no turnovers. And uh, I think Derrick Henry should should uh, get some MVP considerations. I know it's a quarterback, I know it's a quarterback uh, driven league. It's a quarterback award basically. Almost every single time that MVP gets awarded to quarterback, but Derrick Henry should get some consideration. Especially the Titans finish strong. They're eight and three right now, so possibly thirteen and three, possibly not twelve and four. If they finish twelve and four. And Derrick Henry is a, is a leading rusher, and he and he has the most touchdowns as a running back. He should definitely get some MVP consideration. But some excuses for the Colts. If, I, if I'm to take it easy on the Colts, they were without their starting center. 
and that's that's especially important when you have a non-mobile quarterback like Rivers who can't move. I could outrun Phillip Rivers, and I'm not fast at all. Um, they were without their top running back, Jonathan Taylor, the rookie. He actually had one of his better games the week before against the Packers. He had like 90 yards rushing, which may not sound too impressive, but he, he hasn't had the best of rookie seasons. So that was something that he was going to build on, and unfortunately he couldn't play. And like I said, they were without DeForest Buckner, so their defensive cog right down the middle. Um, they lost him. I saw this graphic. I'm going to try to put it up. If, if you're just listening to this, I might have to put the link on the description so you can click on it if you want to see it. But the, the Colts defense with DeForest Buckner and without DeForest Buckner is like night and day. It's like two different defenses. Um, I think he should get, just because of that, he should get, I mean, he already plays great, but just because of that, he should get some defensive player of the year consideration. But hopefully the Colts get Jonathan Taylor and DeForest Buckner back in the coming weeks. Hopefully next week. I'm pretty sure COVID protocol, they should be able to get on the field next week if everything goes well. And hopefully they get their starting center back. I think he had like an ankle injury or something. So that's three key starters that they missed. Um, And especially in the division game when things are so close and things can shift so quickly. I think that really helped. That really uh, hurt them. Hurt them. That really hurt them. But, um, yeah, it was a good game. It was good for the Titans. The Titans had been struggling as of late. They hadn't played their best football. And they put, like, a good four quarters together. It was special teams played good. Defense surprisingly played really good. They kept the codes in check. And uh, the def- uh, the offense looked good. Run Derrick Henry for the Colts. Just uh, like I said, their defense is what's been carrying this, carrying them this year. And without DeForest Buckner, they're completely different defense. So hopefully for them, he comes back. For them, um, he comes back, and he's able to perform. And it just shows how important one player could be. If you're gonna pay somebody in the NFL, defensive lineman, offensive lineman, super underrated. But those are one of the most important positions in the NFL. And as far as their schedule. The Colts are one game behind the Titans now. Um, they split the series 1-1. The Colts have the Texans, the Raiders, the Texans, and then the Steelers and the Jaguars. So not the Texans just lost Fuller for the rest of the season, and he had kind of kick-started their little turnaround of the season they're trying to have. So they might, and without Fuller, they can't stretch the field. So they should be able to beat the Texans twice. I say should just because they have Watson. You never know about Watson. The Raiders just blew a game to the Falcons. So we'll see how that goes. Steelers is the second to last week of the of the NFL season. So we'll see if the Steelers are still um, fighting for something. If they have the first place secured, the Colts might get a cakewalk or they might not be trying. Um, and then they have the Jaguars. The Jaguars are the Jaguars. So, I mean, they have a couple games in there, Raiders, Steelers, that could go either way. And then they should beat the Texans and they should take care of the Jaguars. But we'll see. The Titans, they do have a one-game lead now against the Colts, but they play the Browns next. The Browns are 8-3. and three. They're, they're tough. Um, they're not the best on offense, but they have been maybe one of the best running backs in the league. And if, if uh, Mayfield plays good, they could be trouble. And then they play the Jaguars, the Lions, the Packers, and the Texans. So the Browns and the Packers, those are the two games that the Titans have to look out for and just take care of the Jaguars, Lions, and Texans. I did have the Colts winning the division. It's looking a little harder now that they lost uh, to the Titans, but they still have a chance to win it. The Titans, uh, I think with this win, they they position themselves really good to win the division or at minimum make the playoffs as a wild card. 
And I had, I had predicted that they wouldn't make the playoffs this year, so um, it looks like they're on their way to shut me up. And uh, Derrick Henry, I should have never doubted Derrick Henry. He's having a great season, probably the best running back in the league. Him and Cook. And as far as running backs, because Kamara runs pretty good, but he's he's uh, he's great out of the backfield catching. But yeah, that was that was the Colts versus the Titans. Great game. Um, Titans looked like they. Stop their little slump they were going on, turn their season around. Colts couldn't build on their Packers win. Second game, second game I want to talk about. The Cardinals came into this six and four, and the Patriots came in at four and six. And the Patriots had just lost the weekend before to the Texans. And I everyone thought their season was over, myself included. I was like, okay, like they should have built on their previous wins, but they they didn't. Ugly, gritty, tough win by the Patriots. 17-20. They upset the Cardinals. Like I said, like when I mean ugly, it was ugly. It was an ugly victory. The Cardinals had more passing yards, more rushing yards, more first down. They had a better third down percentage. They won the turnover battle 2-1 to one, and had the ball for eight more minutes. So they controlled the ball. They had more time of possession. And yet, the Patriots still won. Let me repeat that one more time. Like, cause they always break down. They always tell you, like, to win games, you gotta win the turnover battle, control the clock, and convert third downs to keep the the drives going. So the Cardinals, more passing yards, more rushing yards, more first downs, better third down percentage, and they won the turnover battle, and they had the ball for eight more minutes, and they still lost. Crazy, crazy. Uh, I honestly, it, it still baffles me how the Patriots pull this off. Um. What's it called? They had like 69 yards passing <laughs> for the game. Uh, was Cam Newton struggled to get anything going. The offense looked ugly, and yet they still found a way to win. And the one note I have from this game is special teams and defense. Don't you ever underestimate the impact that special teams can have on a game and defense. But special teams put the put the Patriots in position to score twice. Um, the first Patriots touchdown came after a long kickoff. Cardinals, they got the ball at the Cardinals 46. 46 yards to go when your offense is struggling. It's amazing. Nothing nothing better for an offense that's struggling than a short field. And then they, the defense came up with a huge goal line stand to keep it 10-7. 10-7, I believe in the second half. They stopped the... They stopped the, the wide receiver at the one-yard line. It, they had called it a touchdown. And then they reviewed it, and he was down. And then the Cardinals went for it on fourth down, and they stopped Drake at the one-yard line, held it to a 10-7 game. And then they had a long punt return that was supposed to be a touchdown, but there was a flag for a, for a defender turning around and getting a block. So it wiped out the touchdown. But they got a field goal out of that, short field again. I think they only gained like 15 yards, and they're already in um, field goal range. And then a uh, batted ball. Um, Kyler Murray was trying to get this pass and then the defensive lineman raised his hand, batted up in the air, interception, and then they got the ball at the Cardinals 31, another short field, and then uh, uh, Camp, uh, excuse me, and then the game's tied 17-17 and Camp throws an ugly interception. If you're watching the game, it looks like he threw the game away. 17-17, Cardinals get the ball back. You're thinking, okay, all they got to do is get a couple, like, couple first downs, and they'll be in field goal range. They do. They're in field goal range. I believe it was a 49-yard field goal, somewhere around there. 
uh, Cardinals kicker misses it wide right. Patriots get the ball. They do nothing on first down. They do nothing on second down. Third and 13, Cam Newton keeps it, runs for a first down, gets the third and 13. And then the rookie, Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons, hits him in the head, hits him as he's exiting the field. Personal foul, 15-yard penalty, helps the Patriots up. They move the ball up. They get into field goal range. And Nick Folk hits the game winner. And the Patriots escape. And the Patriots keep their season alive. They go up to 5-6. and six. It's still a long road ahead for the Patriots. They have a lot of teams ahead of them. The Raiders, the Bears, I mean the Raiders, the Titans, or the Colts now. The Raiders, the Colts, the Browns. Um, Who's the other ones? The Dolphins. And one more, one more. Uh, the Bills. No. Who's the other AFC? Uh, the Ravens. Yeah, they have the Ravens. There you go. Ravens, Colts, Ra- uh, Raiders, Colts, Browns, uh, Dolphins, Ravens. Um, the point is they have five teams. They have five teams ahead of them. Uh, Ravens, Raiders, Dolphins, Browns, Colts. There you go. Those are the teams that are ahead of them. There's still a long way. Five teams ahead of them. They got to jump up three spots. Um, the schedule is kind of tough. Five and six. I don't know if they could do it. Realistically, to get a playoff spot, they might have to run the table, finish 10 and six. I don't think nine and seven will do it, to be honest. But they could They could dream. They keep their chances alive. They beat the Cardinals. I, honestly, I didn't think they could do that. I think I thought the offense... For the Cardinals was too too strong, too potent for them to beat them. And somehow, some way, special teams came through, defense came through, huge goal line stand, um, huge turnover to get to get the ball at the 31. And special teams, Cardinals special teams let them down. If if their kicker makes that field goal, it's a different story. If they were to, you know, defend on special teams, the kickoffs, Patriots had nothing going for them. Their offense was struggling the whole game. Um, Cam Newton finished with 84 yards passing, two interceptions, no touchdowns, 50% completion rate. Like I said, it's ugly, ugly victory by the Patriots. But like Cam Newton said after the game, I'm not going to apologize for winning. And I mean, he <laughs> that reminded me of what Nick Folk said. Uh, not Nick Folk. Nick Folk was said earlier when the Bears were like 5-1. and one, And he's like, oh, I would rather win ugly than lose good or like I would rather play ugly and win that I mean play ugly and win than play good and lose and we saw how that turned around like everyone said that's not sustainable you can't do that for the whole season and lo and behold I think since he said that they're 0 and 5 they're 5 and 6 they're out of the playoff picture um I think yeah same thing for the Patriots is this sustainable I don't think so they gotta eventually find something on their offense they gotta be able to play a little better or a lot better because they're not always going to have their special teams to bail them out and give them short fields. And the, the defense isn't always going to make a goal line stand at the one-yard line. And they're not always going to get a turnover in in the opponent's field. So Patriots got to turn around. The Cardinals, disappointing, disappointing loss. Uh, I had a lot of hopes for the Cardinals. I thought they could potentially challenge the, the Seahawks for the division two weeks ago. But now it's... They're just trying to hold on to that last playoff spot. They are the seventh seed. 
now in the playoffs there is going to be seven playoff teams as of this year so they're in the playoffs right now and thankfully for them the teams behind them um i don't think they're really a threat niners vikings and bears are all five and six like i said the bears just lost five in a row they were five and one don't think they have it I don't think they have it in them to make up the ground. Vikings, 5-6, and six, they're probably the most dangerous team that could potentially catch up to them. Niners, 5-6, and six, they're dangerous just because their coach is elite, but they lost their quarterback. They lost a lot of people on defense, and they're in a tough division. So I don't see them, you know, making up that much ground with in the division they play. So Cardinals should still be fine as far as playoffs, but, you know, these type of losses are not should not be acceptable. Year two of the program, so maybe you could get away with it. Going forward next year, the year after that, these are the type of wins the Cardinals have to win with Kyler Murray as their quarterback if they want to be a real elite team. But Cardinals have Rams, Giants, Eagles, Niners, Rams. So the Rams twice, the Giants, the Eagles, and Niners. Three and two should be enough in the NFC this year to make the playoffs because then that would, that would mean... Either the Vikings, the Niners, or the Bears have to go four and one. And I don't believe any of those teams is gonna go four and one. So three and two, just beat the Giants, beat the Eagles, and beat the Niners. And you should be we should be good, the Cardinals. And maybe split with the Rams. I think they can beat the Rams, but we'll see. And the Patriots, they're not done yet. Chargers, Rams, Dolphins, Bills, Jets. Should beat the Rams, should beat the Chargers and the Jets. Rams, Dolphins, Bills. We'll see. Uh, that's going to be three tough games. Realistically, they have to run the table just because there is five teams. Let's see if I can get it right this time. Raiders, Colts, Browns, Ravens, and Dolphins are all the teams ahead of them. So they do get a chance against the Dolphins to make up a little bit of ground. But it's going to be a rough, rough, rough road for the Patriots to make it back to the playoffs. I think the streak is over this year. But... You can't say they're not fighting. You can't say they're giving up. And Belichick has them at least trying to, you know, salvage their season. But it's a weird year. It's okay, Pitches. You can come back next year. I'm sure the fans um, would like them to make the playoffs. But, hey, they've been spoiled the last 20 years. I think one bad season of not making the playoffs is fine. And we'll see how Belichick retools next season. But they're not there yet. Like I said, five games to go. If they run the table, they have a chance. We'll see. But the next game, Chiefs, Buccaneers, Chiefs go to Tampa Bay. Tyreek Hill goes crazy. The Chiefs go to 10-1. and one. The Buccaneers fall to 7-5. and five. They're the sixth seed now. They go into their bye week struggling, losing two in a row. Um, the score doesn't really reflect the game. The final score is 27-24 Chiefs. But they were up 17-0. They were up 24-7, I believe. Um, Chiefs came out firing. Tyreek Hill had a monster game. After the first quarter, he had 203 yards rushing. I mean, 203 yards receiving, two touchdowns in the first quarter. He finished with 269 yards receiving on 13 receptions and three touchdowns. I don't know what they were doing on defense, uh, the Buccaneers. Whatever they were trying, it was not working. They were trying to single coverage. Tyreek Hill, the fastest player in the world with football pads on. And that's just not going to get it done. Um... Bruce Arians, uh, after the game, the big story was that Bruce Arians said that Brady is actually calling all the plays 
And that was a lot of, uh, that got a lot of media headline because a lot of people are Brady apologists. It just, it, it is what it is. I think Brady gets that benefit because he is the GOAT. He is the, the best ever. So he should, you know, people are going to defend him. People are going to be on his corner. Rightfully so. He's earned it. That's what you get when you play 20 great years in the NFL. But even like the commentator, Tony Romo, uh, and any mistake that Brady, that Brady makes, it, it always seems to be the play caller's uh, mistake or they're not running Brady's offense or Brady didn't throw a bad pass. The receiver ran the wrong route. And I think after a while, it gets annoying, even to the coaches. So I think the coach, Bruce Arians, is just trying to nip it in the butt. He's trying to get the record straight. He's trying to say, hey, if you guys are trying to blame me, I'm just going to let the media know that Brady is the one calling the plays. I'm not the one, you know, calling all these plays. If Brady throws the interception, it was on his play call. Um, but I don't know. I don't think I don't think the coach should should be saying that to the media. I think he should just take it. Uh, I think it sets a bad president. He can lose the locker room like that if he keeps if he keeps saying that. Um, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't have done that. But Bruce Arians, he's a enigma. He's he's a personality in of of itself. But Brady Brady struggled in the beginning. He finished kind of strong. He did have two ugly interceptions. He does seem to be panicking a lot more now when he gets pressure. He doesn't he doesn't just eat eat the sack. Sometimes you just got to tuck it, take the sack, live to see another down. There's been a lot of times where he's trying to go down the field and he's getting pressure and he's not able to step up into the throw. And you know he's older now, so he doesn't have the arm strength that he once had. And he's still like just chucks it up there. Two ugly interceptions. Maybe if he doesn't throw those, they're able to come back. But the Chiefs did take their foot off the gas pedal once they took that lead. So we don't know if they how they would have reacted if the Bucks would have made an earlier push. But they were in a 17-0 hole. Offense wasn't doing anything. That defense needs help. I think that defense plays better when they're ahead. Once you put them in a hole and the other offense could run, and it's, it's, it's harder for the defense. But Brady brought them back. He had two touchdowns to... Uh, Mike Evans, I think he needs to find Mike Evans earlier in the game. Mike Evans just seems to be catching touchdowns this this year. I mean, I'm sure he's not that disappointed because his touchdowns are going up. He's he I think he's on pace to have the most touchdowns in a season, but he's definitely like underperforming in the in the other departments. Like I think this might be the the lowest amount of receptions he has in a full season and the lowest amount of yards. But he is getting touchdowns, but I just think Brady has to build a better connection with Mike Evans that is his best wide receiver I know um Godwin is good and Antonio Brown is there but Mike Evans is an elite wide receiver he, he's had a thousand yards every single season of his career he, he's an elite player so I think he needs to find him earlier not just on the end zone not just on the red zone he needs you need to feed the ball to Mike Evans get coverage to go, to go his way and then you need to run the ball more if Brady is calling the plays it's kind of I don't know what he's doing he in, in uh, New England, what worked for him was the run game, the short passing game. He did have that one season when Randy Moss was there. But other than that is the short passing game. Feed the tight ends. Feed uh, Edelman. Feed Welker. You know, the slot receiver. And methodically go down the field. It looks like he's trying to force the field down the field. He's trying to force the ball down the field more this, this year. Uh, I don't know if it's to prove a point to say he still has it at 43. But... 
Buccaneers have a bye week coming up. They have to take a good, hard look at themselves and see what they want to do for the rest of the season because a lot of people had them going to the Super Bowl, especially in the middle of the season when they were hot, when they were firing on all cylinders. People had them going to the Super Bowl, and now they've been struggling. They've lost some games here in the last four weeks. So after their bye week, they have the Vikings, Falcons, Lions, and Falcons. And they should be favored against all of them. Vikings, Falcons, Lions, Falcons. They should by no means, if they close out 4-0 and finish 11-5, that shouldn't be surprising to anyone. This is a pretty soft schedule to end the season. And they have a bye week. Week 13 bye week. One of the furthest bye weeks of the season. So I think it'll be good for Brady to recover. Good for them to retool themselves and, you know, watch some film, analyze what they've been doing wrong, change up the gameplay, run the ball more. Hopefully they run the ball more after the bye week, take some of the pressure off of Brady. And hopefully Bruce Arians and Brady get on the same page. And Bruce Arians, you know, throughout the season, he's been taking little shots at Brady on in the media. And Brady always says that they have a good relationship, but maybe they should, you know, talk about it in the in the bye week and see what they could if they can get on the on the on the same page and move forward. And as far as the the Chiefs, they have the Broncos, Dolphins, Saints, Falcons, Chargers. So Chiefs, they're chasing the Steelers. They want the number one seed. Broncos, Dolphins. No matter who they play, they're always going to be the favorites. But the Saints, the Saints game is going to be most watched TV. Uh, we'll see if the Steelers are able to keep up uh, their undefeated record because the Chiefs are going to be right there. As far as the Chiefs. They just gotta find a way to close out games better. Um, they're a great team. They always they either start off really slow and they finish really strong, or they start off really strong and they finish kind of weak. If they're able to put a full game together, the Chiefs are in a league of their own. I don't think anyone could beat them. They should be the Super Bowl favorites. But Mahomes is a magician. Tyreek Hill is one of the best offensive weapons in the league. He's a mismatch. He he could run past anybody and Kelsey he's the best receiving tight end in the league he's a mismatch anywhere you put him on the on the field so and their defense is playing a little better so it looks like they could repeat it looks like they're where they're well on their way to repeat the Chiefs are a dangerous team they're fun to watch I love watching the Chiefs game I'm always going to tune in Patrick Mahomes generational talent but that was the Buccaneers versus the Chiefs it was a good game it was a great game um it was old versus new, Brady versus Mahomes again. And it didn't disappoint. It was great. I watched the game. I, I was tuning in. and It was great football. Buccaneers came back ferociously at the end, viciously at the end, but they couldn't get it done. And the Chiefs held on. And the Chiefs are the favorites for the Super Bowl. But on Monday Night Football, the Seahawks played the Eagles. And the Seahawks won 23-24. They go to 8-3. and The Eagles lose. They came into this week, first place in the East. They drop all the way to third. And the takeaway from this game is that DK Metcalf is a monster. DK Metcalf is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. <coughs> Crazy stat, if you didn't know, I'm pretty sure everyone knows this by now. The commentators kept saying it. They keep, every time the Seahawks play, they always comment on this because DK Metcalf, DK Metcalf, Metcalf is always a talking point. He was the ninth wide receiver picked in the 2019 draft. And he might be the best one. That There was a lot of elite wide receivers picked in that draft. But he might be the best one. Unfortunately for the Eagles, they picked a wide receiver. They were one of the teams that picked one of those wide receivers before DK Metcalf. They picked J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. 
He was selected ahead of DK Metcalf in the second round. And he has two catches for 45 yards this season. So they're not really getting their best return on their investment. And DK Metcalf, 10 catches, 177 yards in this game. For the season, he has 58 receptions, 1,039 yards, and nine touchdowns. Is a crazy stat line. He's having a ridiculous second second uh, year in the NFL. He's turning into one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. And I think <clears throat> one of the storylines for this for this game was uh, Jim Swartz, Schwartz, the defensive coordinator for the Eagles pregame, went up to DK Metcalf and gave him like a slight. He kind of gave him a compliment, but not really. He told him that he's a great wide receiver, but that he was in, he was with the Lions when they had Megatron, and that DK Metcalf is a good wide receiver, but he's not Megatron yet. And I don't know what he was trying to do. I don't know why he had to mention that. Um, I think he could have said it differently. He could have been like, oh, you're one of the greats is Megatron and you remind me of him or something like that. But the way he said it, that you're good, but you're no Megatron, that's just putting fuel to the fire. You're just firing up DK Metcalf, one of the best wide receivers, and you have small cornerbacks that can't really keep up with him. And it was clearly visible to everybody during the game. 10 receptions, 177 yards. Jim Schwartz didn't have the best, you know, wherewithal to know what was going on. I think maybe you could say that after the game. When when you see the score, like, you don't want to give one of the opponent's elite players more motivation to go out and just wreck your defense, especially when you're the defensive coordinator, too. If it would have been, like, an offensive guy, maybe it would have been different. The wide receiver coach or maybe Peterson, if he would have gone up to him, you're like, oh, man. You're not you're not Megatron, but you remind me of him. I don't know. Coming from an offensive guy, maybe that it comes off a little bit different. But when it's the defensive coordinator of the team and the coach is offensive minded, so you know he's he's the one responsible for the defense. No one really has that much input in it. It's it's his show. I think that just adds a lot of motivation to DK Metcalf. And you saw it in the game: ten receptions, 177 yards. Slay had no chance against him. After the game, they asked Slay if, if they should have helped him, and he was like, "No, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? Like I got him. Like, but no, you didn't. You didn't have him. Jim Shorts and your defense combined didn't have him. No one had him. Basically, on Monday Night Football, DK Metcalf had, had himself a game, and the Eagles, the Eagles as a whole, they're they're falling apart. Carson Wentz, I don't know what happened to him. Oh my God, he he's struggling so mad. He his decision making is worse than Jim Shorts pregame. <laughs> the only reason I remember Jim, there's two reasons why I remember Jim Schwartz. He's a defense coordinator when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. So shout out to him. He, he he coached a pretty good game against the Patriots that that day. And then I remember his time with the Lions and Megatron. the the one The one thing that's like ingrained in my head is when uh, they lost to the 49ers, and then Jim Schwartz went to meet John Harbaugh or Jim Harbaugh in the middle of the field. And I think Jim Harbaugh gave him a pat in the back a little a little too hard. He kind of shoved him in the back. And I guess Jim Schwartz was already like in the heat of the moment. He was he was too hot. He didn't like the the little push he got on the the nudge he got on the back. So he went after Jim Harbaugh and he like stomped his foot and he wanted to fight him. It was pretty funny. It was jokes. There was a lot of jokes going on that week. So it's good to see Jim Schwartz back in the headlines again. And again for not the right reasons. Uh he should have. He should have never said that to Megatron, in my opinion. I mean, I'm Megatron. Uh, DK Metcalf, and there you go. You paid for it, Jim Schwartz. 
but as far as the Seahawks, they got Chris Carson back. They it was the Eagles. I don't think they had to use him too much. They only ran him eight yards, eight times for fifty-one yards. He got his touchdown. Carson's back. He runs ferociously. He always finishes runs like strong. So good to have him back. If you're a Seahawks fan, the defense is stepping up. It looks like they're getting more pressure every week. Dunlap was a great trade. I'm gonna keep saying it every week because every week he he gets pressures and I think he he got a sack this week. So good for Dunlap. Good for the Seahawks. They're looking legit. None none of these NFC teams look elite. Whether it's the Saints, the Packers, the Bucks, the Seahawks, none of them look like they have a full team, like a full top to bottom team. But the Seahawks are turning it around. They still have that offense. They got Chris Carson back. Their defense is stepping up. They're getting pressure. And they have a soft schedule, so they could build a lot of mojo, a lot of confidence going into the playoffs. Giants, Jets, Washington, Rams, Niners, they could run the table. We'll see. They could potentially end up with the first first spot in the NFC. Uh, I'm rooting for the Seahawks. I really like the Seahawks. They were my Super Bowl pick before the season. I had the Chiefs and the Seahawks meeting up. I mean, yeah, meeting up in the Super Bowl. And I had the Seahawks winning. We'll see if that happens, but... They're well on their way to make the playoffs, be a top two seed, potentially get a bye week if they could snatch up that number one seed from the from the Saints. But we'll see. Good job for the Seahawks. Defense looks like they're turning it around. Take it with the grain of salt, though, because it is the Eagles, and the Eagles are a mess. The Eagles can't protect Carson Wentz. He's the most sacked quarterback in the NFL. Their wide receivers can't get open. They're all a mess. Fulham, J.J., Arceta, Whiteside. Whoever's out there, you can't get open. Ertz is hurt. He's not the same uh, tight end that he once was. He's getting older. He was a matchup nightmare back in the day. Now he's not. Schultz, uh, their other tight end, he's all right. He's cool. But Wentz has no protection. He has no weapons. The running game struggles at times. And with all that being said, Wentz is playing terrible too. Um, The decisions he's making... He's playing hero ball. He's holding on to the ball too much. He's making terrible throws. Uh, I don't even know what to say with the Eagles. They were playing. They've been playing terrible this whole season, but people still thought they were going to win the division just because. Out of all the teams, the, the one team that you could possibly trust was the Eagles, especially after last year when Wentz carried them to. To the division title, even though they had a lot of injuries, and this season they have a lot of injuries, and the rest of the division sucks. And the division has got the division has gotten injuries. Prescott is gone, so you would think that having Wentz on a four-year, one hundred million, one hundred twenty-eight million dollar contract in the division, and the Washington football team has Alex Smith coming back from a broken leg, and the Cowboys have Andy Dalton, and they lost their quarterback for the season, and the Giants have. Jones, who's lackluster at best, and he's hurt now. You would think that the Eagles would be the team to make it out of the division. You would think that the team that paid their quarterback four years, $128 million, would be the favorites. But nope, they keep struggling. They lost their division lead. And I honestly, I don't think they're going to make it back. The Eagles have the Packers. That's a loss. They have the Saints. That's a loss. They have the Cardinals. That's a loss. And then they finished with the Cowboys and the Washington football team. So 
they're going to be 0-3 in these next few weeks. I don't see them beating the Packers, the Saints. Those are two teams at the top of the conference. And then the Cardinals are going to be fighting for their playoff chances. So I don't see them upsetting the Cardinals. Thankfully for them, the rest of the division sucks. So I think the rest of the division should be in the same boat by the time they play the Cowboys in Washington. So it could come down to those two games. Hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully one of these other teams picks it up and that those games are out of reach for the Eagles. Because they're what? The Eagles are 3-7-1. and one, And they're about to lose three games in a row. So they'll be 3-10-1. and one. If they're still alive and they're 3-10-1, and one, Lord have mercy. What What is going on with this division? But the Wentz contract is one of the worst contracts in the NFL. It hasn't even kicked in yet. It kicks in next year. They can't move on from Wentz. Uh, they owe him too much money. You can't bench him because... He's owed 30-plus next year. He's owed 30-plus the year after. And if you cut him, if you bench him, you're just having like a quarter, a fifth of your salary cap tied up to a benched quarterback to a failed experiment. And it's just, it's sad to see Eagles. I, I used to root for the Eagles sometimes. I like Dawkins. I like Westbrook. I like the Brown. I like, you know, they had a lot of players that you could root for i like McNabb. i like deshaun jackson i like macklin i like vig i even like kevin cobb sometimes when he played good brent selig i'm not an eagles fan but i did root for them sometimes especially in that division they were like the easiest team to root for as a neutral because i'm not going to root for the cowboys i'm not really going to root for the giants the washington who roots for washington if you're a neutral that's not really a team somebody roots for the eagles were that team that if you're neutral you kind of pick them in my opinion and so they're struggling it's looking bad for them um it's looking bad for wentz it's looking bad for doug peterson it's looking bad for that organization thankfully they got a super bowl out of it like three four years ago so they could ride that into the sunset but it's looking bad for wentz it's looking bad for peterson i think they need a peterson looks like he's on his last legs uh, he's not making great play calls. Wentz, too. I don't know what you do with Wentz. That, ter- that contract is terrible. I think these Wentz contract and Goff, I didn't talk about, I didn't go into depth about the Rams losing to the 49ers, which was embarrassing for them. Didn't go too deep into that. But point one of the main reasons they lost that game is because Goff is mediocre at best. I believe he had like three turnovers in that game. And we, everything we know about the Rams, we've been knowing. They're a great team. They have a great defense. They have, they probably have the best player in the league in uh, Aaron Donald. They have one of the best coaches in the league offensive-wise, but they get dragged down by their quarterback. Goff is mediocre at best, too. And they gave him a large contract, too, and they're tied with him, and they can't move on from him. And it's the same thing with the Eagles, and they're from the same draft class. They went one and two. And I remember when that happened, I said that they were both going to be bust because I did not like what they what I saw from them in college and from watching like a lot of YouTube videos and analyzing a little bit of film. I did not like what I saw from them. Wentz, Wentz doesn't throw the ball that good. I mean, his mechanics are kind of like messed up. He has a weird windup and golf. I just thought he didn't have the arm strength and I don't think he was that smart. But they had some success in the NFL, mainly because of their coaches, in my opinion. McVay is, is a genius. I mean, we all know golf. Golf golf would throw for like three hundred yards and like two fifty of those would be run after the catch. So 
I mean, we all know what's going on here. Uh, they paid them too early. I think this could influence other quarterbacks getting paid going forward because you don't want to be stuck how the Eagles and the Rams are stuck right now. The Rams potentially have a Super Bowl window right now. They're still in a Super Bowl window. They have Aaron Donald. You're always going to be in a Super Bowl window or kind of if you have Aaron Donald on the defensive side, just put something competent on the other side and your coach is great on offense and you still can't get it done. It's frustrating. It must be frustrating for LA fans, for Rams fans. It must be frustrating for Eagle fans just seeing their team crumble and just seeing $128 million tied up to the quarterback and you can't move on from him and you have a rookie quarterback waiting in the in the in the bench and you can't move on to him because Wentz is tied up to this contract. It's just frustrating. It's frustrating as a neutral fan and you know we'll end at that just because I'm getting frustrated. But yeah, that was the Seahawks versus the Eagles. I went on a little tangent. Seahawks are looking great. They're eight and three. Second in the NFC, potentially could finish first. Eagles are third. In the East, in the NFC East, three seven and one. They can't move on from Wentz. They're probably gonna fire Peterson if he doesn't turn it around. Ugly, ugly season. <clears throat> but moving along, that was the NFL week twelve. Great weekend of football. It, it concludes today. Ravens versus Steelers. We'll see how that plays out. Can the Steelers maintain their lead against the Chiefs in the top of the AFC? And can the Ravens climb back into the AFC playoff picture? They're looking. They're on their. They're out looking in right now. Um, it would be really disappointing if they don't at least make the playoffs this year, just by the fact that they were the one seed last year and they had the MVP. So it would be crazy if they don't make the playoffs this year. So it'll be, a, it'll be a good game to watch today, Ravens and Steelers, to end week 12 of the NFL season. But the Premier League match day 10 is in the books. It's over, and we could talk about it. Um, the first game that I want to talk about, Southampton versus Manchester United. Southampton came into this game as fifth place in the table. They've been outperforming everyone's expectations. They've looked like a really complete side. And uh, Man United came in at 10th. 10th position and every time Man United plays a league game against a team that's not a top six team that's not a world-renowned team no matter what position they come in into the game you think if they lose this game is only on his way out and although Southampton came is came in as fifth in the table if if United were to lose to this team that neutral or casual fans wouldn't really recognize or wouldn't really know from the top six they would be calling for Oli's head, and that was what was happening. Southampton started strong. They got a 2-0 lead on Manchester United. And at that point, I did think, oh, my God, is Oli going to get fired after this? Is, this? is this the game where Oli gets fired? Is this the game where they finally cut cut their losses with him? And fortunately for Oli, unfortunately for United fans that want him gone, vintage comeback by Manchester United down 2-0 final score Manchester United pulls off the comeback in stoppage time in the second half they went 3-2 crazy game it was actually really entertaining fun fact United is the first Premier League team ever to win four consecutive away games while trailing in each one of them so they've been behind four times in a row away from Old Trafford and they've been able to come out with the win, not just a tie, a win. So it's it's what Man United is known for going back to 
on Sir Alex Ferguson. They're known for their comebacks. They're known for being a team that never gives up. And as far as Ole goes, they're not performing that well. They're not doing well in the league. They're I think now they're ninth. But they do they're making these vintage comebacks. So at least that's something that Man United fans could look as a positive. Take away from this game, Cavani is still that guy. He's a natural scorer. He's still a great player. He's a poacher. He has predator-like instincts on the box, in the box. He never stops moving. He's relentless. He's a nightmare for defenses just because you never know where he is. You never know where he's moving. You can never relax when Cavani is on the field because he never stops moving. He came in on the 46 minutes. He had two goals and one assist. He always looked dangerous the whole time. Every time he's on the field, he looks dangerous. And uh, Cavani, shout out to Cavani. A lot of people thought he was washed. I know I was, I was on Reddit. I was on the comment section of YouTube. I was on Twitter. There was a lot of United fans that were not ecstatic about the signing of Cavani just because they're getting him off the couch. He was not with any team. He was a free agent. People thought he was washed. Maybe you don't know too much about Cavani because he played a lot of his career in PSG, just scoring in a not so well-renowned league that is the French league um, it's, it's not as easy to watch on TV as the Premier League is so maybe you don't know who Cavani is and he gets outshined in Uruguay by um, what's his name by Suarez yeah he gets outshined in Uruguay by Suarez so you know a lot of I know a lot of soccer fans know Cavani and a lot of neutral fans know Cavani but there is a lot of people that don't really know Cavani or don't know his prowess but if you don't know him he's 32 years old now and he's still elite he made the difference for United uh good for Cavani I think he should be starting uh the one objection or excuse or reasoning I get for why he's not starting is because he's not fit they're saying he's not fit like I said they got him off the couch but he looks fit to me and the 46 minutes that he played yesterday, the 44 plus stoppage time minutes he played yesterday, he looked dangerous. He looked like he was always moving. He he looked good with the ball on his foot. He scored two goals. He got one assist. I think Cavani has to score. He's not as young as Rashford, but he's more dangerous with the ball on his foot. And putting Cavani centrally, I think, lets Rashford go on the wings where he could expose his, use his speed to his advantage more. And I think... Cavani could teach Rashford some of those predator-like instincts that he has, the movement off the ball, finding holes in the defense that are hard to see to the regular person. I think Rashford has all the physical qualities that you look for in a forward, but maybe in his head it's not clicking. Sometimes when he finishes, he struggles too, but Cavani could really help him out in that. But in the meantime, Cavani should start centrally and maybe push Rashford out to the, to the sides. He has played that before. He does play that with England and with United before, so I don't think it would be a crazy transition. But United, they save Ole's job again. They keep him as a head coach of Manchester United. Uh, United are ninth now. South- Southampton fall to sixth. I uh, just wanted to give a shout-out to James Ward-Prowse. He is the best free-kick taker in the Premier League. Time and time again, he shines. Uh, he scored a beauty of a, of a free-kick, bending it over the over the... Over the wall, curling away from the hair. He even got the hair hurt. The hair like hit himself on the post, hurt his knee. Um, we'll see if the hair is fine. They had to take him off at halftime. They put in 
backup keeper. A lot of people are saying this is the chance to move away from the head. Um, he had he hasn't had that bad of a season this year. He hasn't really had like that many mistakes this year. So maybe I, I I don't agree maybe with that too much. You could move away from him if you want to, but he has he's still a quality keeper. So maybe you keep him in. You see how he comes back from injury. But vintage game by United. I like I like what I, I saw from them, especially in the second half, especially with Cavani in there. And I think you need to play Cavani because he brings goals, he brings movement off the ball, he could assist. And with the defense that United has, with the lapses in concentration that they have sometimes, I think United has to score two, three goals every game if they want to win games and move up the table. They're not going to be a team that gets clean sheets, in my opinion. They're, they just don't have the concentration. They don't have the players back there to expect clean sheet after clean sheet, even playing against lesser of teams. So put Cavani up there and let's try to get a goal fest going for United. Outscore every team. That should be <laughs> that's the way they could win. But United, as far as United go, they have West Ham next. Should be a good game. West Ham been playing pretty good, and Southampton have Brighton next. So we'll see if Southampton could continue their hot start, bounce back after losing to United. The Southampton head coach after the game did say that it's not frustrating that they lost to United. It's if anything, it's encouraging for Southampton the way that they played against United and it shows that their program is working and that they're heading in the right way. Agree with him. Southampton, it's good to see them up. They've always been a team that produces a lot of talent for the big six. They've been like a farmer for the big six. Their best players always get poached away from them. So good to see them in the top half of the table and hopefully they could come back against Brighton next week. Chelsea played Tottenham this week. Match day 10, Chelsea versus Tottenham was the marquee matchup of the week. They drew 0-0. Whoever won this game would have gone top of the table. But unfortunately, they drew to a 0-0 draw. And Tottenham keep their top place in the Premier League. I think by goal differential, they they have a better goal differential than Liverpool. So they keep the top of the table. It was supposed to be the game of the week, but it was rather underwhelming. There wasn't too many chances um, there wasn't too much excitement. Tottenham kind of sat back and invited Chelsea, and Chelsea could not pick them apart. Mourinho, after the game, had a quote that was that resonated with me. He said, because they played uh, in Chelsea, they played at Chelsea's home field, and he said, a draw here normally is a positive result. To stay on top of the league is also a positive thing, and my dressing room is unhappy. And then he said, it's a complete change of mentality it's a complete change of personality. And I think Mourinho has brought that to Tottenham. Basically saying, we drew at a tough place. We went to Chelsea and we came away with a tie. And that's always good when you go to a opponent like Chelsea and you don't lose. And they drew and they were able to keep their top of the table position. So they should be happy. And he said that they're not happy. So I think Mourinho has brought that mentality that personality to the team or they're not just happy with the draw they're not just happy being top of the table they want to win every game they carry themselves as a team that should win every game and I think Mourinho has brought that to Tottenham I think before him Tottenham kind of felt always felt as they were the smaller team that like just getting any result or being top four or being even close to top four was was acceptable or was a good thing now with Mourinho there, they have bigger goals. They're fighting for bigger goals. They have bigger ambitions. 
I think it's good for them. I think Mourinho is that guy. He brings that toughness to any locker room that he comes to. He always has grit, and he's always not afraid to stand up for his players in the media. And then he called them ponies. He said they asked him if, if they were a, a contender for the title, and he said that they're not even a horse, that they're a pony. I think that's just Mourinho playing the media, being smart, being smart about how he carries himself, not putting too much pressure on his team. Um, I think he likes being the underdog. He likes having his team compete as underdogs, but then he he does bring like expectations to them. So he, he carries his team as underdogs because he knows that it ignites them and it gives them an edge. And then he's not complacent with ties and just being top of the table. He he wants more and more for his team. So good for Tottenham. They have back-to-back clean sheets against City and Chelsea. That's impressive no matter what team you are. If you're able to shut out Chelsea and City on back-to-back weeks with the type of players they have, with Chelsea breaking records on the signings they have this year, bringing Werner, um, uh, what's his name? Having all these players that they have at their disposal and keeping a shout-out against them. And then City, you know, we all know how City spends. Sterling, De Bruyne. Impressive, impressive roster they have to keep clean sheets against those teams. Vintage, vintage Mourinho. People say he, he parks the bus, but I think his tactic, tactics are usually always on point. <clears throat> as far as Chelsea, Tommy Abraham did have a couple of chances that he could have done better. They were, they were for the most part, shut down by Tottenham, but they did have some chances. I think Abraham could have put one or two away, but... In typical Abraham fashion, he didn't make up. He didn't make. He didn't finish those attempts. I think Tommy Abraham is not Chelsea quality, in my opinion. He's he's built like like a freaking goddess. He has a great physique. He's fast. He he looks like the prototypical nine that you want, modern nine that you want. But he's not that good at finishing. He's a little clumsy with the ball on his foot. I don't know. Well, hopefully, he's still young, so he could get better. But. I don't think he's the solution for Chelsea at the number nine. And at Warner, I mean, you could put him, you could put both of them together or you could put Warner on the side. But Tommy, I think Tommy Abraham should be like slowly weeded off the starting lineup or getting minutes, in my opinion. But Wendy has been a great sa- a great signing for Chelsea. He made a couple saves against Tottenham, but there was a, cu- a couple plays that like resonated with me. There was a couple crosses that, I think Kepa would have let like cross across his his goal, and he would have like defended the shot, and where Mendy cuts cuts the cross before it gets through, and he like deflects it over. Small stuff like that that Mendy does just brings a lot of safety or like a lot of calmness to that defense, and they've had more clean sheets with him at the goal than they they ever did with Kepa. And there were a lot of saves that Kepa could have done that he never did that makes any sense like he conceded the goal and it's not really Keppa's fault but you would expect more from Keppa. or like if you were an elite keeper that's something that like a elite keeper could have stopped you can't really fault the keeper for not stopping it but you kind of like want more from him it's like okay like if you would have had a little better positioning if you would have reacted a little quicker you could have gotten to that like I'm not gonna blame you but I wish we had somebody that could save that if that makes sense and that's what Mendy has been for Chelsea. He's getting to those saves that Kepa couldn't get to. And I think that's good for Chelsea. And it's good for their title chances. And if they could get their offense going. And if they could get Pulisic back. 
they're gonna have a real chance to make some noise this season. And overall, I think uh, I think Chelsea was pretty satisfied getting a tie. They're third in the table, ten games in. I think they're they're like one point behind top of the league. So I think it's a it's a good result for Chelsea. They're two points behind. Um, excuse me, they're two points behind the leaders, and I think they should be happy. It's gonna be good for them. They're they're still within striking striking reach. Their defense has looked better. They're getting clean sheets now. Mendy has been good for them on goal. And I think their offense is going to come as the season progresses. So good for Chelsea. Good for Tottenham. Lackluster game overall. Disappointed. It wasn't the matchup that most people wanted to see or the results, the display, the entertainment that most people wanted to see. But it was it was still a decent game. Um, Chelsea 0, Tottenham 0. Chelsea plays Leeds United next. That's going to be a fun game. Leeds always goes forward, sometimes to their fall, but it's going to be a good game. Tottenham versus Arsenal this week, the North London Derby. Uh, Arsenal is struggling. Tottenham is doing great. So we'll see how that plays out. Tottenham versus Arsenal this next weekend. That's probably going to be one of the marquee matchups of this match day 11 for the Premier League. (coughs) But speaking of Arsenal... Wolves versus Arsenal was the last game that I wanted to touch on for match day 10 of the Premier League. Wolves beat Arsenal 2-1. Uh, one more time, let me just reiterate. Best wishes to Raul Jimenez. Uh, hope to see him on the field again, hopefully soon. We'll see how it plays out. I know people were worried that his career might be over. He did crack his goal, so we'll still have to see how that plays out. But I think he should hopefully be able to come back. As a Mexican myself, as a Wolves fan, as just a human being, a fan of soccer, football, I wish to see him back on the field. Raul Jimenez was having one of his, he's he's having one of the best seasons of his career, like this last two seasons and going into the season. He's really enjoying his soccer. He's playing good for the national team. He's playing good for Wolves. There's a lot of transfer news around him. He could go to a bigger team. This is the best soccer Raul Jimenez has played. In his whole career. So hopefully this injury does not deter him. Hopefully he has no long-term effects because of this. And hopefully he's back on the field for Wolves scoring. He's back on the field for Mexico scoring. And we're all able to enjoy his soccer game. So best of wishes to Raul Jimenez. I hope you get well soon. But as far as this game, Wolves showed a lot of heart to win. Losing their star man, Raul Jimenez is their best player. Raul Jimenez is what makes him go in the front three. And everyone knows Raul Jimenez. He's been splendid for the Wolves. And they subbed in their 18-year-old Silva, who broke, who's their most expensive player ever, but hasn't really been getting playing time. So uh, to get this result at Arsenal, at, um, at Arsenal for the first time. This is the first league win for Wolves at Arsenal since 1979. So it's been a long time coming. 41 years since their last victory at Arsenal. So shout out to the Wolves. Without Raul Jimenez, magnificent result. Uh, Neto has been brilliant this season. He's really stepped up since Jota left. 20 years old, he's really coming into himself. We all know what Jota Jota has done with Liverpool. We all know what he's been doing with Portugal. He's been a scoring machine in the Premier League. 
in international games. He's taking that next step. But if you didn't know, another Portuguese player that take took his spot for Wolves has really stepped up. Neto has been brilliant this season. He's dangerous with the ball on his foot. He's been getting goals this season. Um, Neto, watch out for him. He he has the potential. He's I think he's like four years younger than Jota. He's faster than him. He's great with the ball on his foot. I love Jota. I miss him. I wish him the best. He was one of my favorite players at Wolves. But it's been amazing to see what Neto has been able to do with the Wolves this season. At twenty, at the ripe age of twenty years old, it looks like he's blossoming into an elite player. Um, he's he's very shifty with the ball on his foot. He, he's not afraid to go at players. He, he has little step overs. He's quick. I really like what I see from Neto. He's looked very dangerous. He got on the net. He scored the goal. He scored the opening goal for Wolves. And then he got the shot for the second goal. Goalie couldn't keep it. Potence got it and scored the second goal. So Neto was directly involved in both goals. Shout out to Neto. I like what I see from you. Amazing, amazing performance by Neto. Amazing season he's having. And as far as the Wolves, this was one of the first games that they played with the back four. And I think it really allowed their field players to shine. This is one of the few times that I could remember that Adama Traoré, Podence, and Neto were all on the field together. Usually it's two of the three. If it's Podence and Neto, Adama's on the bench. If it's Adama and Neto, Podence is on the bench. If it's Adama and Podence, Neto's on the bench. They usually keep him on the wings, but because they played the back four, it allowed them to have more offensive players. They played with Neto on the left, Adama on the right, Podence as the center. And then they had Raul Jimenez at the top when he was on in the game. And then they had Silva come in. Wolves looked very dangerous. Uh, the back four was solid. Cody and Bali were really great at the back. Um, so overall, great performance by the Wolves. This is one of their best starts to a, to a season, to a campaign. And uh, as far as Silva, he came in for Raul Jimenez, 18 years of old. 18 years old, he came in and had a pretty solid game. Uh, he was good in link-up play. He held the ball up good. He's, he has a pretty big physique. He's He looked good. I'm excited to see him moving forward. Um, he will get some chance. He will get a chance to shine in the coming games with Raul Jimenez out. Uh, hopefully, Raul Jimenez is not out for too long. Hopefully, he can come back relatively quick within the next month or two. We'll see how it goes. Take as long as you want, Raul Jimenez. The head is one of the most dangerous, sensitive spots in your body, so just make sure you're good before you come back, and hopefully Silva could shine in your time out. 18 years of old, the Wolves invested a lot of money in him, so I'm excited to see how that plays out. As far as Arsenal, they're really struggling. This is the worst start ever. This is the worst Premier League start ever for Arsenal after 10 games. It's 13 points out of 10 games. Unacceptable for Arsenal. Uh, what look to be a promising season has quickly soured. Before the season started, I predicted Arsenal would finish top four. I'm looking like a clown right now because of that. Um, they did win the FA Cup. They did win the Community Shield. And that had people excited. That had people thinking Arteta was the man for the job. It looked like Arsenal was on their way back to being a competitive uh, main character in the Premier League. They were going to compete for the top four. They were going to go back to their old ways of winning. And that has quickly been soured. 
people are forgetting about those victories. Obama Yang can't find the back of the net. He has one goal in 10 games. It kind of looks like he doesn't want to be there sometimes because of his lack of effort or his just the way his body language is not right. I don't know what's going on with Obama Yang. <laughs> there was this video, too, of Arteta uh, where, <laughs> where he's coaching a player. I think he's about to make a sub. And he doesn't know what he's going to tell him. He's just thinking. And then he tells him what he, comes to his head. <laughs> and people are making fun of Arteta that he's just he's just uh, making stuff up on the fly as he goes. And it was pretty funny. Uh, I hope he's not doing that. I hope he's actually using his tactics that he's, he works on through the week. But it was just a funny video. But this season has not been funny at all for Arsenal. Uh, honestly, the main, probably the, the one thing they could do is just get Obama to start scoring goals. They can't score goals to save their lives. Uh, it just looks like a rough season for Arsenal. That top four finish that I predicted, uh, cancel that. <laughs> I revoked that. I did not say that. <laughs> I might have to take down the clip just because it's not going to happen. I could tell you right now, no matter how good Arsenal turn their season around, which I don't, that's even in doubt. I don't even know if they will. They're not going to finish top four. They're not, they're not going to finish in Europa League either. It just looks, it looks pretty dire for Arsenal right now. And they have Tottenham up next and Tottenham should beat them. In my opinion, Tottenham are top of the table. Arsenal are four, Arsenal are 14th. So it just looks like, uh, honestly, uh, I don't want to say this, but Arteta might not even make it to the end of the season, if I'm being honest. Worst start ever after 10 games. 14th place, 13 points out of 10 games. It's looking bad for Arsenal. They have to do something in January to get some players in here because it's just not working right now. And Arteta might not be the man for the job. He looked good in the offseason. He looked good when he won the FA Cup. He looked good when they won the Community Shield. But the community shield is the community shield. FA Cup, all right, I'll give you that one. But how much leeway is that going to get him just because he did get two trophies? I don't know. But Aubameyang doesn't look like he wants to be there, so that should be their number one concern. Get him, get back into his graces, make Aubameyang feel good again, and get him scoring some goals, and maybe they could turn their season around. But it's looking rough. As far as the Wolves... Uh, they climb up to seventh. Hope for them. Uh, pretty good start of the season, and they just hope to get Raúl Jiménez back, and they'll see what they have in Silva in the next coming weeks. And tough, tough game coming up. They have Liverpool next, so we'll see how they do against that. Hopefully, they they're able to get a draw or something out of it. Because I'm a Wolves fan, so I, I am rooting for them, but. It was another great week of soccer. Match day 10 of the Premier League is in the books. Uh, week 12 of the NFL is in the books. Uh, we do have a lot of a lot of great games coming up. There's still one game left in the NFL schedule. Rams versus, Ra I mean, Ravens versus Steelers is later on today. Um, but yeah, <clears throat> this has been episode number 18 of the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. My name is Ismael San Juan. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. And I just want to end it with rest in peace, Diego Armando Maradona. Thank you.